Welcome to the next episode of the Awake Asia podcast, where each conversation I interview experts and thought leaders from around the world that share topics surrounding health, fitness, entrepreneurship, and conscious living to help you live a fitter, healthier, and more purpose-driven conscious lifestyle. In this episode, I interview Josh Lejeune. He was one of the most inspiring people I've met. I'm honored to have him on the very first year of the Plant Fit Summit. He was the first speaker I invited to the event, and he said, yes, I was stoked. And now to have him on the podcast is incredible. This guy is as real as you get. Beyond the fact that Josh lost 200 plus pounds by changing the way he identified who he was, he has overcome mountains of obstacles to get to where he is today. From sick to fit, he re-identified himself as an ultra-endurance athlete, competing in some of the toughest races in the world, and even landed himself on the cover of Runner's World magazine. Though we haven't met face-to-face, Josh, I look forward to that day. No doubt I'll be trailing behind you and Emily if we do go out for a run. On to our conversation. This is Josh's story. Firstly, thank you. I've been following your journey on Instagram. And you know, when I see you doing the strength training and doing your pull-ups, yeah, go get him, brother. I love it. I love it. I love being able to like uh, hoist myself with my, with my own power. Uh, that's so different compared to what it used, what life used to be for me. Like a pull, people don't understand. Like a single pull up used to be like just a pipe dream. Like I could, you know, I could have jumped up and got a pull up and maybe held myself there for a little while. But as far as like doing pull-ups like I do now, slow and controlled pull-ups. Uh, How many can you pull now? I don't, in a row, probably only 12. Oh, only row, 12. You know, but, but, uh, but I'll do, I do sets of six or eight just in, and that's how I keep go- and then do push-ups between and stuff. But I like the, it, it's, it's similar to running to me. It feels like a groove like a like a human specific groove to be in physically to be able to run and put myself up and pull myself up over things that seems like a you that sounds like human to me yeah and you always talk about the human animal and that's our human nature what we're born to do we're mon- we're born to push jump lift yeah. you know all that kind of stuff and have we gone so far away from the essence of who we are that we actually need someone to motivate us it is it's so crazy how really like you know sort of honorable sort of uh aspirations of we want to be comfortable and secure but how how those things have have extrapolated over my mom's taken a real proactive role i'm super proud of her she's a teacher and that's what the movement needs more than anything is people is be people to be taught how and why to make this change. Like instead of it just being another weight loss hack or another, you know, some, you know, or an ethical thing to do because you like, oh, I love my dog, so I'm gonna stop eating pigs, but I'm gonna eat like pancakes and and vegan butter and 
You know what I mean? So to teach people like the basics of of lifestyle medicine, basically, um, but through the food is that's where the rubber meets the road, I think. And it doesn't take PhDs and just takes regular folks, especially not not um, not as, oh, it can be people that aren't PhDs can help. But no. Those like the regular people are the ones who can reach the most. They can relate to a bigger swath of people, you know. So the more that regular folks engage in teaching five, six, eight people at a time how to do this, the I think the quicker will affect that overall like trajectory of of, uh, you know, human health outcomes in today's environment, you know. Back to what you're saying, I mean, in terms of regular folks, I mean, regular folks need to feel the benefits of what this lifestyle can bring to feel like you and I feel you want to share it with the world. And, you know, even in through the Plant Fit Summit, after the very first Plant Fit Summit, people that have watched your interview are blown away. And now three years on, you know, it's because of the summit that now they're health coaches, they're starting their own plant pure pods, they're doing vegan potlucks. This is absolutely amazing to see someone who's experienced their own transformation and like for yourself, having an evangelical energy that exudes every pore of your skin and you just want the world to feel the benefit. At the same time, it's just so frustrating because people yes, just won't is. wake up. Yeah, and, if, and I don't know if you know anything about the South in the United States, but the South is a very, boy, we are just a hard-headed group of people who are stuck in old traditional ways regard if it if it like my bam bam was if it hair lips hell we gonna still do it you know it doesn't matter that it makes us have heart disease at a rate higher than any other state in the nation it doesn't matter we we gonna still do it because we do gratons that's what we do we you know we fry, we fry pork skins and fat, and that's what we do. We make boudin, we make sausage, even if it kills us, damn it. And it's like, and that's a bastardization of an idea. Like, it's so warped to me. Because what we really are about as a people, like all of us, we all come from a peasantry. You know, we all come from scarcity. And it's about survival. That's what our traditions, that's what all of our cultures are at its base root, is how did your people survive? And we've taken these survival mechanisms and meals and recipes and traditions and completely gluttonized them and turned them into a thing that makes us less than which is exactly the opposite of why they were invented in the first place. That's not upholding tradition. That's not, that's not a, that's like a, that's a toxic imitation of, of uh, honor to me. Indeed. You know? indeed. For sure. I, I guess right now, although we've started chatting already, welcome to the podcast. Um, yeah. I'm a little bit late on the welcome. I remember still, you were the very first person that got the Plant Fit Summit started. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. And thank you. I remember I was at the library and I told, 
Um, my my other half, my better half, Toby, said, we got our first interview. It's Josh Lejone. Yes. <laughs> and then three years later, here we are. And I'm, you know, we're chatting again. I think the very first time I chatted with you was with my wife, Emily. And Emily holds you in high, high regard. So welcome and thank you for being here again. So you're just constantly evolving and you're constantly pushing and you're one guy, you know, it's when I was a kid, my dad bought me this little punching bag with the sand at the bottom. You, you inflate it yeah. and you punch yeah. it and it just pops back up. That's you, man. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, what's the latest and greatest in your life that's been happening right now? Uh, right now, I'm, you know, I am excited almost to the point of tears to be back running 40, 50, 60 mile weeks again and getting myself oriented towards not only going and completing some ultras which i've been doing i've done that and but to start to to start to race again you know um i still feel some issues in my back but i'm learning how to live with a lot of that stuff i'm learning i've learned a lot about treatment i've gotten a lot of help along the way and i've changed a lot of things but right now i'm excited about leadville um on uh, June 15th, I'm going to go run in the mountains. So I've been building myself back up that on the physical front has been so exciting because in 2017, not only did I like fail in Liverpool and not get my Boston qualifying time that I wanted, but I deeply hurt myself. And then at the end of that same year, I lost my grandfather you know, on in August. And then in December, I all, almost lost my great Dane. We had to go, th we went through a period of about a month where he had to have two surgeries and we had to make huge financial decisions to help our dog, you know? And, and so it was, it's been a rough couple of years. It's been a rough couple of years for me, but to be, to be back to the point to where I am right now, to be collecting more miles and all of that stuff is kind of in the rearview mirror a little bit. Um, and to be back physically to the point to where, yes, I, now instead of can I go survive, now I'm like, ooh, I can't wait to go use the fitness I've built on the mountain. You know, so physically, I'm excited to be right there. Um, and and but also we, I've, since we talked last, I, my book Sick to Fit was out, me and Howie. Howie wrote a book together. Um, and so Howie has just been wonderful to me, like to be able to articulate the ideas that I have in my head, some of the things that I've learned. And he can really he can really like pull them out of me and spell them out in a way that I just don't have the, you know, the vocabulary for a lot of times. And so he's been like crucial in my growth on that side of things in my life, being able to help grow my messaging and my ability to help other people and be of service in the same way that I grow my running and trying to get bigger and bigger races done. Same thing on the, on that front. So being able to get that book out was a huge, huge step. And, um, beyond that, we also working with, on our well start health, uh, platform. And so it's just a constant evolution of things and me like having different realizations and epiphanies on a daily basis and take like taking new doors and closing others and like 
it's such a dynamic existence. Uh, it's scary at times. It feels like a tightrope, you know, it, it'll keep you awake at night sometimes, but, but it's, it does feel like a worthy sort of, uh, uh, tightrope. It does feel like a worthy thing, you know, to be, to be, to be, uh, grinding yourself. Of course, with, of course. You know, I look at where you are right now. You're almost at the, in a sense, the top of the mountain. You can almost see the peak. Maybe kind of rewind a little bit and maybe just give us a snapshot of where you were before. And I know we talked about yeah. pull-ups. I think it wasn't even <laughs> about pull-ups back in the day. You know, it was just kind of getting no. off the couch and even breathing and tucking your shirt in the last time we were yeah, chat. Yeah. So maybe paint, sure. the, uh, paint the picture of where you were before. Yeah, sure. Like, so if I, I grew up in South Louisiana, which is a, in the South and in the South of the South, you know, and, um, you know, I grew up in a family that we ate a lot. Uh, it was a big family deal. And so I got up, I got up to 400 pounds, just like everyone else, like a lot of other people in my family. I wasn't the only 400 ish pounder in my, in my family. And so I was a big, heavy guy, um, for, for, uh, a very long time, a lot of fried food, a lot of alcohol and, um, a lot of laying around. It was like, we use the truck to go from here to there and, and lay and sit around. And then you get in the boat and go over there and you sit down. Like everything was, you know, we just didn't move very much, but we ate a lot and we were always cooking and feeding ourselves and feeding people. Um, and that was the life we led. I, I, I grew up in that life not only did i eat that way but also played football so that required me to be a big person right and um so those things and then i was injured playing football so that gave me a physical excuse oh man boy but for this back injury i would be in better shape but now i'm just a fat ex-football player ha 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 jokey joke make jokes about myself that kind of a thing that kind of a life um and then, you know, things just kind of kind of came to a head at, at one point in my life. I, I mean, I found myself over 400 pounds, not really happy physically with myself. I was going back to school, learning, learning some things, feeling smart. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try and change this weight and just started moving in the direction of of um, trying to just shed some pounds at first, you know? That was all, that's all the shift was. I really just, in the very beginning, Luke, I just wanted to, like, not look fat in a suit. That's all it was. It was just, it was that. But it was also the aligning of a few other planets as well. Because it was, my wife had made me feel confident in myself. That was, that's a big one. You know, she she spurred me into going back to school. Then while I'm in school, halfway through that, she doubles down and says, I believe in you so much, I'm going to marry you. You know, and then in 2010, the Saints win the Super Bowl. Right. And so 2011, I'm like, man. All of this, like, things are blossoming in my life I never imagined possible. Can I maybe not be fat one day also? Is that possible? 
let's start moving the needle on him. And we just started, but I just approached with more pragmatism this time than what I had always done before, which was use Xenodrin with ephedra or hydroxycut or eat many thins instead of food and drink water or whatever. Um, this time it was changing. It was me being pragmatic. It was me taking myself as a, as a case study and it brought me to running reluctantly as a fat guy. I hated running, but running brought me eventually to a realization to surrender of discomfort because I started to realize the more uncomfortable, the more it sucked, the more weight I was losing. The more I was willing to let my physical discomfort stick around temporarily, like during a workout, the more results I saw. And it made me push harder against that resistance. It's harder against that resistance. And that made me fall in love with not running, not the sensations of running, but the idea of pushing against what is trying to to stop you. Speaking of what's trying to stop you, I mean, you were the only one that was deciding to change this course of your life. But when you're in that environment of Louisiana, your community is doing the same thing. And, you know, there's, of course, there's going to be naysayers. How did you kind of overcome that? Well, I didn't at first, Luke. I didn't overcome that at all. I totally succumbed to eating po' boys and drinking beer and eating crawfish. Uh, I can share a picture with you after this. So after I had lost, say, 90 pounds or so, I'm sitting at a table with a whole big freaking pile of crawfish heads and tails that I just devoured and I'm smashing crawfish. So I didn't. I was using exercise. I was using my running at that time to mitigate what what I was still doing in the food. And at that time, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to be able to do both. And it was working until it didn't. And that's what most people call a plateau. That's where people lose 50, 60, 80 pounds. And it all it is, is you just really haven't decided to move to take the next moves. You're stuck saying, oh, man, I've done I work out a lot. No, but have you changed? You haven't really changed those naughty Though you haven't really turned a pragmatic eye to your actual food choices because you're warm and fuzzy about their traditional meaning. You know what I'm saying? And so so if you're willing to go there, then you get big change. You so, know? so what were your reference points? Because I think uh, some people look at weight, look at the weighing scale. Some people look at the their waist circumference. Were there any yeah. reference points for you to kind of know that you were on the right track and you were just kind of pushing forward as you went ahead? Yeah, that's beautiful. The um, weight was an easy one for me. It was low-hanging fruit early on because not only was I big and extra heavy, but I was also extra motivated because I, I was, you know, I just didn't want to be fat anymore. And, and so weight was coming off pretty fast. So that helped me feel good. Um, once I got a scale that could weigh me, um, that was important. And then that gave me my first goal. My first, my first benchmark was to not to be 195 pounds. My first benchmark was to get back to playing weight, 
When I played football, I weighed about 300 pounds. But for me, that required losing over 100 pounds to get to 300. You know, so that's where I was headed. Just get to 300. Let's get back to them 290s, baby. Because at 290, I'm like a cat. You know, that's what I was saying. Like, you know what I mean? Totally. So, so in that sense, you were your own inspiration or did you actually have anyone you were kind of looking up to and getting inspired by? Yeah, no, because in Thibodeau, there were some guys that I was inspired by in a big way um, in, in my hometown. There's a guy who actually does the same kind of work I do in the sewer business. So his family was also in the sewer business and more in portalettes and different stuff, whereas we're more in uh, the actual structures, uh, treatment plants and stuff. And so anyway, long story short, I had seen this man, um, live a certain way my entire life here. And he had been, and he's like in his late sixties now, dude, still shredded with hose pipes over his biceps and abs. Dude's a monster. And I know how he lived. I know. And he was, and he's all on, all in on all the time. And so he was a big inspiration to me in my life. I don't even know if he ever realized it, but I had always seen him around. And that um, that helped pull me. Um, I also saw some guys at the gym who were older, who were getting outside and jogging. And it looked like it was very difficult for them, but they were doing it anyway. They'd have their little old white dude, like sweatband on their head. And they out there you know, jogging in the heat. And I'm like, damn, if he can do it, I'll get my big ass out there and do it too, you know? And so that's, that's the real early beginnings. And then as I started to broaden, cause at the same time, the internet for me was also blossoming at that time because school had introduced me to how to manipulate technology to best use the internet and search engines and all how to learn stuff, YouTube and audio books, all of this stuff. So at the same time, I'm also learning about the world at large and learning about people like, um, like John Gabriel. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but, but he's lost. He was the first person I'd ever heard of that had lost over 200 pounds and didn't, didn't look like a deflated sack of shit. That's what I was scared. I was going to look like some weirdo. And I saw a shirtless picture of him and you could tell that he had lost a bunch of weight, but it was like, oh, wow. So, the, so the skin will change and that's all I needed. I was like, oh, that's like, it was a huge one. Yeah. So things like that early on gave me like aspirational, like, uh, sort of images to, to move toward for sure. Um, whether it was the helping me surrender to something or aspire to something, um, there was definitely some inspiration along the way. Uh, try to look back on those days to try and like glean some use for people now, you know. Um, but yeah, there was there was uh, there was definitely some things that 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 propelled me, that pulled me. Not to mention my one of my best buddies since kindergarten, Jeff. My buddy Jeff Thibodeau was right there with me, jogging right on the side of me. He didn't need to be running that damn slow. He wasn't 200 pounds overweight, but he would. I would be jogging my 15-minute pace, and he'd be right there with me next to me, power hiking, you know? 
yeah, it's beautiful. It, it, it truly is. I, I really, really love your story. And going back to our Plant Fit Summit 2017 conversation, I didn't know that that was... Um, that was a really tough year for you. And I mean, knowing where you are right now and seeing that glow in your eyes and knowing the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the big the big changes that are going to be happening in your life with this big race ahead. You just look so much more confident in yourself. We actually had a conversation a while, I think probably a year ago, a few months ago, I think on Instagram. And you're just saying that you just got injured and you felt like crap. And I'm just saying, freaking dude, just, just keep- Yes, I remember that. Keep at it, brother. I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. I maybe oh, miles. It makes me. I remember that now. Like a ton of bricks. That message is just hitting me. I do remember that. Like I tried to. Um, man, I went through some dark physical times, bro. When you're down at your lowest, um, it feels like you're in the depths of hell. Yeah. It's either you sink or swim. It's either you go deeper into this downward spiral or you or you just go, what? You know what? Screw it. I'm just going to wake hell out of yep. this and just get out of it. And and what actually happens as you kind of rise up, you just slowly focus on one step at a time. You go up that staircase one step at a time. And where you are right now, you look back, you just appreciate Leadville. You appreciate everything so much more, isn't it? Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. You know, you just keep and it's hard to like coach people through these times because it's like, oh, I did everything right. And I'm now dealing with this situation where I'm injured or this major thing happened or and, you know, but for that, I would be on the track for and it's like, man, you don't like that is life. That's what we got to. That's when it matters most is when it all falls to pieces and it's and it just turns to shit you know um that's that's where when we make it through the when we weather those periods with the least amount of damage as we learn how to weather those periods better and better and better without like one of our clients last night said without um without falling off the wagon You know, like without going completely overboard. I didn't eat fried food and and fast food. Hey, that's that's the movement in the right direction. Like when we can maintain those types of good decision making skills through those tumultuous times. My God, we're on the way to perpetual growth. We'll constantly ratchet forward um, if we can, if you know, if we can make it through those through those sketchy times. And uh, I'm thankful that I I was, you know, looking back at it as bad as it sucked. You know, it made me stronger. I was looking at my Strava stuff. I haven't had these big peak weeks of 90 miles or 80 miles. But what I have had, if you look at my Strava bought my uh, across the the weeks for this, this past calendar year compared to, say, 2015, 2016, you're seeing more consistency. I'm getting a lot more 40 to 50 mile weeks in a row than I ever did before. It was a lot of boom up here and then boom, a 20, 10 mile week, 20 mile week, and then boom, a 60, 80 mile week, right? But now I'm developing and I have a coach now who's, we're doing this on purpose. So it just feels, even though I had a huge setback, 
I feel like I'm on path to probably be um, a better runner because of it all. Better, you know? and better and stronger. What was Strava? I'd love to know what, what your 10km pace is like. So I'm still pretty slow right now on the bounce back, but the Crescent City Classic is a 10K and I ran that at about a 659 average. And then, and, but that's slow. I mean, that's, that's all, that's about my fourth, that's about my fourth fastest 10K. My fastest 10K um, was like a six, like a, was, I ran 39.55, whatever pace that is. That's pretty, that was my fastest 10K. First one was an hour and 43 minutes. I was still 325 pounds though. The first time I did a 10K was an hour and 43 minutes. I went 43 um, at 320 pounds. That is insane. And then, but in 2017, right before I went to Liverpool, I was in good shape. Um, right before I went to Liverpool, I ran the Crescent City Classic in 39.55. So that's a li- I think that's a little quicker than a seven than a 6:30 pace for for 10k. Right well, around that, 6:30. That pace. that is fast. I remember when I did my 10k. Like I'm, I'm I. Hats off. Like right now, I'm just going to do this. Put my hands down and, and give the full respect. I was pushing Emily. You know, Emily's an endurance runner as well. So I was running with her and she was running when um, she was pregnant with Sienna. So she, she wanted to still run and accompany me. And I was pushing so hard and I finished it in one hour flat. And you're telling me oh. at 39. <laughs> That's crazy. I'm that's that's insane, brother. Well, um, my my set that that the that one hour benchmark, you know, you asked like, how do I know that I was on the right way? We talked about weight, but in the running part, in the physical like achievement part, where it started to become not exercise, it started to become something else. Was me trying to achieve that first sub one hour ten k? That was the um that was the second time. So year one was an hour 43. And then for year two, my wife was like, hey, let's try to get in in under an hour. So that's what you, that's what 2013 was, me trying to get in under an hour. And we got in in wow. 59.56. Wow, four seconds. 59.56. You were meant to get that one. You were almost, meant. Oh, I was about to die. I can imagine. I and then, and it went from there. Yeah, and it just went from there. I've I've been running that race every every year since, and I love it. It's like sort of my all my running revolves around my classic performance every year. I love it. I love getting on. Ro- love running at ten k. I, I really do. Love it. Love it. And what I find about the way, and I've I've listened to other interviews that you've done on different podcasts about the way you approach running has always has almost a primal and animalistic nature the way you approach yeah. the run and the way you actually describe it you're going there to hunt so explain yeah. that whole concept and explain that whole mindset right well i grew up in so in louisiana we call our state slogan is we are sportsman's paradise and that's what i know that's what i grew up doing sportsman stuff and that means being a Louisiana sportsman means hunting and fishing, right? And to be a good, to be a good hunter or a good fisherman, you got to kind of understand 
you know, the biology of the animal. You got to understand what their tendencies are. You got to understand what they're eating. You got to understand like all of these things. And in doing that, you see animals behaviors in their rawest forms. So that does a couple of things for me is it helps me see myself more as one of these raw animals because I've seen so many of them in the wild doing their thing. And I, a smart animal, have used their thing to catch them or kill them, right? But I know what they, they do a very simple set of things. And so that jars something in me like, oh, I'm an animal, like a deer, like a speckled trout, like a squirrel, like a bird. I have a specific way that I move. I have a specific thing that I eat, right? And so we're trapped by that thing that we do, by that thing that we do, um, by capitalism. And a lot of things prey on our tendencies, just like a deer hunter might prey on a deer that's used to eating corn from a deer feeder out in the woods, right? And so... That all swirls together in my mind for me to take an approach to fitness and nutrition that doesn't feel so clinical and blasé. It feels visceral, like it it feels organic and real, like the heartbeat and the breath inside of my body. Because it's the animal I am. I'm just being the animal and, and... I think it's a more authentic way to be a sportsman, right? Because if you think about trying to reap what Louisiana has to offer in the form of wildlife, right? Try to think about that in terms of, uh, try to think about that in a vacuum of petroleum to leverage, like without the internal combustion engine. And let's just imagine ourselves trying to collect a limit of speckled trout, 25 speckled trout per person per, you know, per boat, right? We try to do that without an without a engine or a metal for a hook or monofilament line or gears for a rod and reel or fiberglass or all of these different materials, right? So for me... That says, okay, all of those things need to be leveraged to get that food out of the environment. That tells me that minus those things, like our natural amount, not would maybe wouldn't have been zero, but it'd been a hell of a lot less than what we're able to do. But we also would have spent a whole bunch of energy trying to do it, whether we were rolling a P-Rog through a swamp or marsh, trying to walk through those swamp to go collect oysters or whatever the thing is, we would have used a lot of energy to get a little bit of food, right? And so I take that and turn it into a sport in my mind. That's what running is to me. It's like wasting energy almost as a way of giving praise and giving thanks for all of the food I don't have to work for anymore. You know what I'm saying? And so I've taken that in like sort of sort of done some alchemy in my own mind to to sort of melt things together to come up with something that still lets me feel like I'm Louisiana and then I still feel Cajun and I still feel like I identify as a sportsman and I'm proud that I know 
I know where to go go find the trout. So if you want to go put a camera on them or whatever, I know where they live. I know where to go hunt them down. You know, we don't have to kill them, but I can still hunt them down, right? And so, so the chase has become my entire life. I love the chase, and all the chase is is running. It's the race, and that has all sort of done a mind meld for me. And it answers all. It checks all of the boxes for me, bro. It checks all of the boxes. It lets me feel athletic. It lets me feel like a sportsman. It lets me feel like a hunter. It lets me feel like an animal. And it doesn't feel like exercise. It's just my existence. It's me being the animal, right? And you exude sort of the same thing because you remind me of what I think of, of you know, an animal, what a human animal would look like if you like happened up on one who just was in the jungle for 30 years doing human shit. He's going to be shredded and in good shape and know all the right raw fruits to eat. Right. And that's that's kind of like I, I like to do those thought experiments often on, you know, what would the you know most authentic version of human be and how can i yeah do or be and how can i mimic those things in my life the more of those i can tetris piece into my life the better i'll be in the long term and as time goes i'll find new ways to get different different pieces into my lifestyle and grow even further trust in that don't worry about knowing that the specific steps that you're gonna take up in two years from now just grow that way, you know? And so, yeah, I, I love it. I mean, I love it. I mean, the thing is that like you talk about the human animal and animalistic in the sense that your running makes you who you are, makes you primal, makes you raw, makes you feel alive. And I think by eating the food that we're meant to eat, it almost becomes an infinity loop. You know, it feeds into itself. You become more of who you are. And you just see that figure eight that goes round and round and round. And I, I look at myself when I first made the switch for animal welfare. Like I watched a documentary on Earth and I was just pissed off that I was lied to for all this life. And that was seven years ago. <laughs> you know, seven years ago, fast forward to where I'm at. I've competed as an athlete. I've written a book. I've, I've done the summit. I'm now running my podcast. And it, like you, you know, doing all your different races for me now as an entrepreneur is about constantly pushing and exploring new ground to grow this message and become more of who I am. And it really started with as something as simple as the food that I ate. You know, what was your relationship with food back in the day versus what your relationship with food is now? Yeah, so food played a lot bigger role in my life. Um, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was really a hobby. Uh, I remember spending a lot of my childhood Saturday mornings watching cooking shows with my Bam Bam. You know, we were watch and we were watching people cook, and then we would pick something, and then we would cook all day long and drink and and have and then invite a bunch of people over that evening to eat the things that we had cooked. Right? So, food was a central role in my life. Um, for various reasons, as I started to lose weight. Um, my grandfather's uh, influence in our family began to wane, you know, as as his disease progressed. 
So that tendency, him driving the the cook off uh, the cookouts and stuff, that wasn't around, you know, just to be truthful. So that that was able to be moved away from as I started to lose weight at the same time. And and it was this sad reckoning like, oh, he's this way because of all of these ways we ate. I was starting to learn all of that at that time. Right. But so my food in the beginning, even as I lost my first hundred pounds or so, was all about that was like a family member to me, the food. And the running was really a way for me to, ah, I figured out how I'm going to lose weight and still be able to eat like this. Boom, I could run 10 miles and eat whatever I want. So that's that's the introduction to running for me to be able to hold on to the food. And ironically, running brought me to a place where I was able to let go of a lot of those traditions. Now, granted, my mom and my brother have created a bunch of recipes and they started, they have their own cookbook. They just released called pure ambrosia. It's a bunch of recipes, things that my grandfather and I would cook and my brother and my mom that, uh, my grandfather would teach us how to cook. And they've just taken the oil and the animal products out of it and made a gumbo or a jambalaya or whatever. Right. So we still have those old foods in our lives. Um, but we, they're not quite as hyper palatable as some of those old traditional foods. So moving away from letting the palate completely rule everything, more salt, more fat, more sugar, no matter what, if it's, if it makes ours better than Mr. So-and-so's down the street, then put it right. And so that rather than that, how healthy is my food making my family is how my mom's shift has made, right? That how, how am I using the power of food to help protect my family? That, and that's how my thought on food has changed as well. Instead of me using the power of food to bring family together and gluttonize, how am I using the power of food to help ensure my family's well-being as we move forward into a sketchy era look at look at look at our healthcare outcomes in this country look at the trajectory of chronic disease it's crazy man and it's like a free money pot of gold for you if you want to just change your food you have do you understand how much cash you're going to waste on co-pays and going to and go and fill prescriptions at Walgreens and buying diabetes socks and getting canes and and hemorrhoid donut pillows like I know I did it for my bam bam I I know that existence how expensive that is to have to have your child shower changed so you can get have a shower that you can walk in without having to step on anything and have a stool in there. So kind of handicap but rise your shower like all of these expenses that come with not being able to move like an Esselstyn or 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 a Campbell when you get into your 80s. Right. Speaking of that, I mean, I've spoken to a few doctors so far and 
one doctor that I spoke to today actually for the podcast, he just ran a 11K and I know of Dr. Jim Loomis, you know as well, just ran his... Yeah, that's my man. <laughs> he I just did. Jim he Loomis. just did his tri- triathlon. He's um, like, he killed it. He killed yeah. it. He killed it. And also, I remember also interviewing Dr. Gregor and you know, these doctors are just healthy. And Dr. Yeah. Colin Campbell, he's like 80 plus, but he's just sharp as a needle. Yep. I was at, I actually walked a mile with Dr. Campbell to Whole Foods in Indianapolis for the ACLM conference. And and I was blown away. I mean, he was walking with a cane, but he was he was telling me the whole time, the only reason I'm walking with this cane is because they said I have to. I don't really need this thing. You know? And so <laughs> and so but we walked a mile to Whole Foods and had lunch. He and his wife and Howard had made the introduction because Howard had co-written Whole with him. So Howard has a really, Howard goes way back with Dr. Campbell and he made the introduction and they all, and we like all decided to go eat lunch together. And Olivia, the CEO of our company, Wellstart Health. And so, um, yeah, I got, I, I, that was such a treat. And then I was telling him about my grandfather and how, like, there was not a chance that my grandfather would have been able to walk. You know, we were excited if he could walk 100 feet like that's because he had bounced back from 265 or so in his late 70s to I mean, not 265. That was his cholesterol. When we talk his weight, he was in the 360s. In the late in his late seventies, and then as as the family went plant based, he had gotten down to like two hundred pounds, in in his early eighties. So he had gotten up out of his hover round wheelchair. We didn't use it anymore. He started walking using a cane, but he walked. So it was progress for him. But walk a mile to Whole Foods and back? No, no. Not a chance. And so to be able to see that, um, that was just really powerful. Uh, and, the, and the talk with him and to hear how bright and engaged. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's a brilliant I, human. He's a brilliant, brilliant human. I mean, he forms the backbone of what we know as whole food plant-based nutrition as we know it right now. And yeah. He's fought a lot of battles and it's been, I'm, I'm sure, back in the archaic, the dark ages of, yeah. of what he was doing. I mean, he was he was a truth seeker. I mean, the amount of resistance he, he experienced and only now, only now in the last, you know, in recent times, he started to be recognized for his work and still, people are still, what, at China study? Well, remember in Gregor's video, he talks about how it took, I think he said, like, um, what was it? There was something like 6,500 studies that said smoking caused cancer before it was actually recommended to not smoke by the Surgeon General or whatever. It's like you would think like after a thousand, there would be sufficient or 2,000 or 3,000. <laughs> Six over six thousand. My goodness. Yeah, and it's the same thing. I feel like with I mean, because look, the data's out there. The epic studies out there. The China, the you know, the Adventist China study. They study. Can say what, right, they can say what they want about the China study, but I mean, you know, I love Garth's thing. It's like just, just because, you know, where there's a lot of smoke, there's probably fire, right? 
So let's not do the whole, you know, let's not let's not break apart the the overall overarching meaning of this, which is why I think he wrote whole as a follow up anyway. You know, um, let's take a 30,000 foot view here. Let's not yeah. get caught up in and, the uh, reductionism exactly to prove the China study wrong. Exactly. With reductionism, really like individual out of context facts. Right. And so that. Yeah, that's in. I don't know. It, it's it, it's got to be super frustrating. But watching him struggle with that message has helped my life because it helped it because hole was created. Low fo- low carb fraud was created. Yeah, out of that yeah struggle, that was a great book right? as well. Yeah, that was another great one. So, yeah, that those things have helped. That struggle has helped educate, I think, droves of people. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Including, including you and myself, I believe. You indeed, know? indeed. I want to kind of circle back to what you were saying about sure. your Bam Bam as well. Having that donut pillow and, and not just Bam Bam, but people in general who are in extreme pain when you know they, they need to go to Walgreens to get their prescriptions filled and their, their joints are hurting. They've got diabetes. They're about to amputate their leg. Yes, those, there's those guys out there who are extreme end of the line. And maybe they might wake up because they might die tomorrow. But there are the, the, the other side of people where they're not in enough pain to feel like, yeah, you know, I'm just a little bit overweight. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy the way I am. Which brings me to the point of this whole fat acceptance movement right now, body positivity. What's your take on that? Being where you were to where you are right now. Yeah, body positivity is paramount. But I think... Um we misuse the idea of it um, to hide complacency often. Um, I need body positivity in my life right now. Just because I've lost 220 pounds, 230 pounds doesn't mean I don't need to actively as a practice be positive about my body in my own mind. Because my body still looks weird compared to another 195 pound guy. So I need to love myself just exactly how I look. And that's a practice. And that practice, when I see it get bastardized and used as an excuse for someone to stay 200 pounds overweight as if they found their calling in life. you What? We'll never agree on that, pimp. No. You cannot make that argument for me. You can be a little... I might say, yeah, human bodies come in different shapes and sizes and some are a little fluffier, some are a little leaner. No doubt. But there's no there's no natural 200-pound overweight. So the whole idea here is living... You love yourself. You love the human you are. You love that kernel. You love getting to that 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 nougat center of authenticity of humanness. It doesn't include 200 extra pounds of visceral fat. I'm sorry. I don't care what sort of rhetoric you shred, you shroud that in. I'm sorry. And that hurts lots of people's feelings and lots of vegans' feelings. But you're missing a huge step. And uh, there's still body positivity needed 
in in addressing, you know, how you're going to feel along the way. But at no point is um, 200 pounds overweight the landing place. I'm sorry. And that's not a Josh thing. That's 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 Mother Nature, man. There's a reason it hurts to move when you're that heavy. There's a reason that you can't white good when you're that heavy. Because nature's like, hey, this isn't this is it, this exceeds design capacity. We can convince ourselves rhetorically of all sorts of wonderful fantasies about loving myself, you know, and putting flowers under my big man titty to accentuate my fat roll instead of doing something about it. You're enabling many, many other fat people, many people that need to start turning the rudder towards better in their life to just completely give up and think of being fat as the end. And, and that's, I think, um, an abuse. I think that's an abuse um, of people who, who are looking for like um, help on social media. And I think that the, the, uh, the body positivity rhetoric, the lexicon is toxic. I really do. And more enabling than useful in my, my humble opinion. And I hope, you know, if that hurts people's feelings, that's good, good. Because one of the, you know, jarring truths of me being able to change eventually was having my feelings hurt a few times to make me look at myself and go, ah, you know, you're right. That person's right. That was cutting, but it was, it was accurate. I think we live in, in, in a culture where everyone's kind of walking on eggshells, wanting to be PC, but it's not really helping or serving anyone if you're trying to be PC when, when for example, the person's obviously, two, like you said, 200 pounds overweight. Whether you're positive or not, your arteries are clogged, your blood sugars are all whacked, and you're gonna, you might actually just die tomorrow, whether you're happy that's or a, not. That's a, right, that's a toxic imitation of love. You're not loving yourself with chicken if it's killing you. You know, I mean, oh, I love ropes, so I'm going to hang myself with this rope. I just love myself so much, I'm going to tighten this rope up until I die. It's, it's, it's really silly if we allow ourselves to think of it, but that's not the tide of social like norms. The tide of social norms has us tightening that rope every day. You know, it's frustrating to be a messenger <laughs> of something different. Well, for someone that's listening right now, waiting for the perfect conditions, how can they take charge of their lives? Right. Of course, do. Right. But here's what to do specifically. Engage physically in extra, some extracurricular bipedalism. Right. So that means you're already walking. You're already getting a bunch of steps a day. Go spend whatever you can afford in your life right now, whether it's physically or, or time-wise, whatever you can afford to do, whether it's an hour or 20 minutes, go 
for some extracurricular walking and or jogging to the point to where you sweat, whatever, something that pushes your norm. Go do that. Not because it's going to help you burn calories, not because it's going to make room for the sleeve of Oreos you want to eat this evening. Right. But just go do it because you're trying to discover what it feels like to finally be a human animal. Right. And stay in touch with me. Um, Whether it's directly or just you know, fly on the wall style on social media. Um, and, and remember that consistency trumps intensity, right? So we don't want to take that 20 minute effort and double it by the end of the week. No, we would much rather have that exact same effort for four weeks running before we get bored with it and want to move forward with some other idea. So what we want to do is just seed a behavior change, a physical behavior change early. I think physical behavior change is very important. Like physiologically speaking, the food's more important than anything. But I think from a behavior change and from a mindset point of view to where we can really, really sort of wrench the trajectory of 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 our current outcomes, um, like physical change is important. Physical movement is important. So that's where it started for with me. Um, but I think trying to create or not trying, but making that moment in your day right now, right now, right now. Not tomorrow, not, I'm going to start, I like, that's a good idea, Josh, I'm going to start that Monday. Get used to the idea of going, screw it, take your work clothes off and take the rest of the day off and go home right now. Now, be risky with it, crazy with it, absurd with it, unabashed about it. Do it like that, you know, Um, it'll change your life. I love it. It's certainly changed yours. And I mean, it's brought us to this connection and it's brought you to many thousands of people that you speak to at each Veg Fest and the thousands of followers that follow you on Instagram and social media. I mean, it's just been incredible and it brought you to Rich Roller and that's initially how I knew of your existence yeah. um, through the Rich Roller podcast and he's, he's another inspiration of mine as well. And just a final question, and this is a, a question that I ask everyone that I speak to. What does being awake mean to you? Being awake means, to me, it's being okay with the vulnerability that comes with loneliness. Yes, we're herd creatures. Yes, we're, we're pack animals. But a few among us have the responsibility, I think, to take that, those scary paths, those paths least taken. Some may, maybe it's balls, maybe it's, maybe it's naivete, right? Um, but to be awake means to be able to see truth and go towards it even if everyone 
is pulling you the other way. And that's a very lonely place. It's not, it doesn't feel heroic. Right? So being awake, it we can talk about it like it's heroism and all of that shit, but it is lonely, especially in South Louisiana. Right? So being awake is often um, only possible as 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 tolerable as you are for some loneliness in your life. And that and that solitude, if you want to get conditioned to it, there's no other better sport than running. The more comfortable you can get with yourself, the more you're shielded against that that uh, sort of loneliness that can come with being awake. Love it, Josh. So for those people out there who've obviously listeners out there who've obviously drawn a lot of inspiration from what you do, how can they get in touch with you? On social, on Instagram, that's probably the easiest way. I'm my name on social media, on Instagram, Josh Lajani, all one word. Uh, that's my handle on Instagram. Pretty easy to find there. Um, and, and I have my website, which is my name, joshlajani.com. Another one, pretty easy to find me, and and um, and check out if you're. I don't know, um, you know, my pet project, my passion. I'm actually like m- moving myself professionally towards it. Check out WellStartHealth.com. This is what I'm really working on. It's in the App Store now. Awesome. I'm just so proud to be a part of it. I just did a video I'm going to post on YouTube this morning about it. But check out WellStartHealth.com. Go download the app and feel your way through there. That's what I'm up to. Awesome. And hit me up with some questions about it. Tell me, you know, give me some feedback because this is a, you know, it's really cool to feel like, you can do something like you can make a difference. And luckily I've fallen in with a team that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ride their shirt tails. I'm going to ride their coattails gonna, all the way to success, baby. Hunt them down. Oh yeah. And we did, we didn't actually manage to chat. So of course do check out your book from sick to fit as well. Yeah. I'll put that, in the, fit, yeah, right? I'll, I'll put yeah, that sure. on the show notes as well, because, um, yeah, I there's think, a link to it from my website. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome brother. Well, it's, always an honor and pleasure and although we've kind of connected through the true modern technology i still look forward to the day we still look forward to the day to meeting you face to face we have Um, to make it happen we need to make it happen emily will be running with you i'll be trying to catch up i'll be looking at your (laughs) coattail but i'm gonna push (laughs) anyway (laughs) sounds fun man That was a truly inspiring and incredible story by Josh. I'm so glad to know Josh and his knowledge, wisdom, and his ability to speak from the heart, to share cold heart truths about rising up from setbacks makes him such a champion and legend. For any resources or links mentioned in the episode, visit awakemethod.com slash podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time being here. If you know anyone who needs a dose of motivation, do share this episode with them. Until the next one, live once, eat plants. Bye.